Before we begin today's episode, on behalf of Duncan and myself, I would like to express our sincere condolences to the family and friends of soprano Aaron Wall. Thank you, Miss Wall, for sharing your voice and your soul with the world. You will be missed, but never forgotten, by a grateful community and a grateful audience. Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. Born and raised in Woodstock, Ontario, tenor Scott Rumble was introduced to music and singing through his elementary school choirs. Having completed his bachelor's at Western University, he moved to Vancouver in 2015 to start his master's at UBC. I got to see Scott's artistry in action as he brought the youth, the naivete, and the heartbreak of Rodolfo to life with us on stage in two productions of La Boheme we did together in Vancouver and in the Czech Republic. One of the coolest parts of being in that cast of misfits was that it really felt like it was real. We may have been performing, but we were truly being ourselves. I am really looking forward to my conversation with Scott today as he tells me more about his beginnings as a musician, what music means to him, what it felt like to discover and tap into the power of his voice. And finally, I ask him for an honest reflection on his journey as a young artist. Welcome, Scott. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, the sun is finally coming out in Vancouver. We've had about a week to a week and a half of nothing but um, smoke and fog. And it's 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 been very dreary, but um, at least the weather is a little cooler than before. It's not as hot as before. So perfect, perfect. Everything, everything is a good balance. Yeah. As it should be. Scott, as I mentioned, you were born and raised in Woodstock, Ontario, and you were introduced to music through your elementary school choirs. How did that early introduction to music and singing take you on a path of uh, training classically and ultimately studying opera? It's really weird how it all came about like that. Like at a young age, my family, like my parents always made me and my brother and sister play piano through that. I just kind of kept doing music stuff and went into my elementary schools singing because I sang in the church choir. So I thought, oh, I'll do the school choirs too. Why not? Uh, every music teacher I ever had was so enthusiastic about it. And like, I can remember even from that early age in choirs, just the amount of fun uh, that we would have. Uh, it, it didn't really mean much to me at that point, though. People told me I was good at it. So I just did it until I was told I sound like a girl. I was just like, yeah, I'll just keep doing this. I mean, okay. First of all, there's uh bullying is never okay. Kids. So. No bullying. I highly discourage bullying, especially when it comes to the arts, but I was in a small town, right? So we're very, uh, backwoodsy, like ding, 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 ding kind of stuff happening. Uh, in my hometown a bit, but the second elementary school I went to, the music teacher, Mr. Murray, he was having the most fun with music. We had the Beatles playing like every day. He was a big Beatles fan, but then he would, I, I still remember that every year we had to watch Amadeus. <laughs> every single year? Every year with it. Every, every single year with him. We watched it once a year. And for some reason, that movie really stuck with me. <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> and specifically the opera scenes in it. And like, I wasn't particularly good at music, music theory. I was horrible at. I wasn't that well-trained in anything musical. And I was always surrounded by people who were getting like their grade eight, grade nine ARCT piano almost before entering high school. And somehow I came out of elementary school with a music award. And I was like, really? That doesn't make much sense. But I was always encouraged 
in music. So I, I don't know. It, it was always a weird time uh, in those early ages with uh, me and music because I just didn't even view it as much of a thing. I also started with piano, but I was... Um... I honestly think I was the worst student ever. I shouldn't even say I think that I was the worst student ever. My teacher told me I was the worst student ever. We had, um, right before we moved to Vancouver, I was in my final recital with, with my teacher, Gabriella. After the recital was over, I, I remember her saying, Ali, you are a stunning performer. You're, you're better than everyone, but you are a horrible student. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you so much, Gabriella. That means so much to me. I got to grade three piano. And then there was a rule in our family where in, I think it was grade seven, you didn't have to take piano anymore, but you had to take something else as an instrument. So when it happened to my older brother, he switched to electric bass. And then when it came to me, I went into guitar and then eventually drums. And my sister got lucky somehow. She didn't even have to pick a new instrument. She just got to do whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so I, 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 yeah, but we always had music in our lives. Like we can all read music. Like I think it was because my parents didn't really have much of it. Like my dad kind of, he played guitar a bit with his, uh, his uh, stepmom and dad and even his mom, like country songs and stuff like that. But yeah, we were, it was always kind of around us at that time. Um, you touched on the fact that you are, you are and were a avid athlete in, in school. Yes. Did you run away from music and go to sports or was it something that just developed at the same time and, and it was part of the culture of the city and the school that you were in? Like I said, music wasn't even really a thing. It was just kind of like an extra, it was like a thing I did during school hours and then I had piano lessons and then eventually guitar lessons once a week. And that's all I really ever did with it at the time. All the rest of the time was sports for me. I did hockey since I was the youngest age you're allowed to start playing. I think for me, it was like a very much a gratification thing of I get instant reward for my effort. And that kind of ties over into singing down the road. It was this thing where it's just like, I can show how good I am at this thing. So, And did you, did you continue that uh, in university as well? Uh, unfortunately not. I was going to, um, but I ended up with a shoulder injury. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of what more pushed me into music. Okay. Uh, because okay. otherwise I'd probably still be throwing javelin to this day, maybe, but who knows? <laughs> So we talked about choir and everything, but how did you get into um, doing the um, musical theater program at the high school or being a part of it? Yeah. So my introduction to singing as an adult was super Troy Bolton from high school musical, like, because <laughs> uh, I was like athlete of the year, things like that during high school. And then I was going into grade 12 and I just wanted like an easy credit. So I said, oh, I'll stage manage a musical or whatever. So I went and talked to my computer science teacher, who was also the musical theater teacher. I was like, oh, I want to stage manage it, I think. And he's just like, um, we're doing a show with a lot of men in it, actually. Do you want to sing? And I was like, uh, I don't do that. He was just like, no, 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 it'll be fine. I'll teach you. I'll teach you some basics and uh, we'll get you in. I'll give you some songs to learn and you'll come in an audition. And I was like, uh, OK, if you say so. I went in and had this like very rudimentary voice lesson for me. 
I think he gave me stars from Les Mis and Joanna from Sweeney Todd. So I come in and sing those. And all of a sudden I have a pretty decent role in a musical. Enjolras, the leader of the revolutionary students in Les Mis with them. I had no idea what I was doing. But through that, before we even like started fully rehearsing that show in September, the community theater was doing a musical to which my musical theater teacher, Chuck Baxter, was also conducting and doing musical stuff for. He calls me up one day and he's just like, hey, Scott, uh, I know you just did the audition for high school, but the guy we had for a funny thing happened on the way to the forum for the role of hero. He can't make the callbacks. So we don't have anybody. Uh, do you want to come in an audition? So I went in and sang Joanna and the director was like, great, pick up that script. You're going to read with everybody. And so I was just like, does that mean I have the role? And apparently I had the role. It, it was crazy going into like the more artistic side of my city and seeing that there is a lot going on, actually. It, it's super weird how in such a small kind of, it's not like very small, but it's a small city. The people that live there, like my first voice teacher, other than my musical theater teacher, was this lady from my church who every year would sing Oh Holy Night. And she was my brother's friend's grandma. And that's that's what I knew her as. All of a sudden, this lady, uh, Gwendolyn Little, turns out she was lead soprano at New York City Opera for a long time. She sang with some of the biggest names in opera you can think of. And I'm taking lessons with this lady. And at the time, you had no idea who she was. I had no idea who she was. And we would just be talking. Uh, she taught musical theater. She taught classical. I was taking musical theater really hard. I started taking dance classes. And then just one day, she was just like, you know what? For fun, just uh, fake what an opera singer sounds like. So I did that. And she was like, hmm, interesting. I'm going to say this. Uh, you should probably think about more classical stuff. And she kind of pushed me in that route. She was an amazing teacher for my first teacher. But I was kind of probably a little much for her. She still will tell stories that when I would get something right or do something successfully, I'd be doing cartwheels all around the church just because I got so excited. I mean, that's that's not too far off from the Scott Rumble I know, so that makes sense. <laughs> that clicked in correctly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I still might do something crazy like that. In 2018, you began the next chapter of your career as a young artist with the Vancouver Opera as part of the Yolanda M. Ferris Young Artist Ensemble. How did it feel like to be um, in a young artist ensemble? In some aspects, I was ready for it. In some aspects, I wasn't. UBC did a really good job of making you prepared for that kind of thing. I, you can attest to this. It's kind of treated like a young artist program in some aspects. In that aspect, I was ready for it. The aspects I weren't ready for was how quick things needed to be get ready and how many things you'd be doing at once and all of that without really having many lessons anymore. Because at university, you're getting a lesson a week, you're getting coachings all the time. And then all of a sudden, you're out on your own. And you have to figure out your voice for yourself a lot of the time. So it made made me focus a lot more on how to work for myself. It was an amazing experience to get the training there, use the facilities, be in productions. Like I was in two out of four of the productions that year. 
And it was it was nice because you get the stage time on a professional stage. And when I wasn't on stage, I was understudying. Like for Bohem, I was understudying Rodolfo. And for Faust, I was understudying Faust. And those were two amazing experiences because for Bohem, we had an amazing tenor come in pretty last minute from Korea. Jimin Park was fantastic. It's one of the best voices I've ever heard live. And it was his 100th performance of it. And so he knew that role inside out. It was very impressive to just watch him do it. And that's the main thing I learned from being in the Young Artist Program at Vancouver was you get the opportunity to hear these amazing singers. Like for Faust, I was with David Pomeroy. At least with David, we had a kind of a bit of a rapport from doing uh, Peter Grimes at the VSO. So coming in to Faust, I at least knew David. It, it was just great to watch these other tenors and just all these other high-class singers. And and then you, that's kind of what drives you is like figuring out how you take that and put a spin on it for yourself. That's kind of what I took out of it was observing these singers and how do they do what they do and how can I do that kind of work? I remember when you came into UBC, um, I was asking you uh, how you felt your uh, your voice was developing. And I remember we were in a practice room once and you were like, I'm just letting go and seeing what happens and then I control it when I need to. How have you found your voice um, take shape in the last couple of years? How has that progression been for you since you graduated or since you started your master's? What kind of what kind of changes has your voice gone through? I'm not very technical when I think of things. Like I have the technique background. I think it was it came from Patrick Raftery. When I came into UBC, I didn't have really anything above an A at all. I would flip into this head voice thing that I could get away with because it was loud enough. But he was just like, mmm quit faking it and actually sing. So I, so I took the actually sing part, literally. For me, it's still very much, I found my voice has gotten more consistent and I can consistently get B flats and Bs. Cs are still a little meh, but I don't use a C that often. But I found from my time at UBC, even doing roles there to doing roles now, I'm finding it less taxing on my voice. It doesn't get as tired because I've found this way of singing. I call it less is more where instead of hitting every note as hard as you possibly can, I still do that, but less so just like a little less. I have found this way to be more consistent, I would say, and approaching high notes and upper register going like to Rodolfo. Like I've done that now. I think, I think I've done it five times now. And the aria is never easy. (laughs) That is the thing that scares me the most in that show. And you can tell because as soon as act one is done, I let loose. So Scott, as you know, um, many of our friends and artists around the world have unfortunately lost engagement opportunities because of the pandemic. And I know that this has also affected you. How have you been working through things mentally and physically with uncertainty? And is there any advice that you on a personal level could give to someone who may be going through the same train of thought? 
Yeah, so mentally, it's been kind of difficult for me on different aspects because of my severe ADHD. I can just kind of lose sight of what's going on a lot and lose track of days and time really, really easily. I recently have hired a personal trainer to help physically with me and just gets me in a more regimented life where things are kind of scheduled out. Like I know when my workouts are, I know when I should be eating and finding time to practice on top of that. It kind of got me in a better space. And like now I have a few friends here that like I didn't have many friends coming to Calgary before, but now I have a few friends that I can get in touch with and just even having somebody message you like you're good at this, Allie. Uh, sending a message off the cuff every once in a while. For me, that's how I get through. No, you shouldn't feel like you're alone. Like I'm really bad for that myself because I can get into that mentality again. It's like with this whole ADHD thing, you kind of focus on one thing and then that kind of envelops you and like it takes over. So even like just getting a call from somebody every once in a while or like, somebody reaches out and sends you a message. It doesn't even have to be that long. You could just send one message. For me, that makes a huge difference in my psyche and how my positive thinking works. So my, my advice for any other young artists out there at this time anyway, because things are still pretty uncertain is, is just uh, reach out to people. Don't be afraid to have as somebody reach out to you, don't be afraid to ask for that. Uh, and just don't feel like you're in it alone because we're all going through the same thing. It's all a struggle now, but we're all there for each other. And I think we all need to work together on a national level to really bring back the kind of work we should be doing and putting a smile on people's faces through music and having each other's back all across the nation is something we should be striving to do and just putting out positive vibes. So with that in mind, Scott, what is your vision uh, for what our community as musicians and artists can look like for a world post COVID-19? What are your hopes? What do you see as challenges? So I was having a conversation uh, about similar things with uh, Neil Craighead the other day. Of course you need to think about your individual companies and things like that. But at the same time, getting all these singers together, coming up with projects to do, even if it's just like scenes or smaller operas, like you can kind of do this thing where either you record it by yourself and then it gets put together into a thing or anything like that. Uh, My hopes are just that we can continue to progress that kind of technological side of opera. I've been watching the Korean National Opera. They put on a Lohengrin recently, and they've put on Die Fliegende Hollande, and nobody's in the audience. It's all live stream. Like, you can watch them on YouTube. They have them up for free right now. But that's kind of the work we need to be doing at this time. You can still put it on a stage with a set, whatever you want to do. I just want to see more technological advancement for opera, because it seems like it's it's a, it's a, it's an older art form and 
we just have to catch up. I think you're absolutely right. The Met live broadcasts are great for people who want to be engaged with the Met from a distance or uh, or going to the movie theater, but we need to push it to the next level where uh, these companies start producing virtual materials so that entire populations across the country and the continent and across the world can partake in on, on a whole new level. Yeah, because for Canada... Like, I would say we don't have the most reach when it comes to opera. It, it's very national. Like it's starting to get a little bit of international traction. But if you bring in more of a technological side of things, it can reach all across the world and people can see it that may have not had the chance to see it. And if companies or singers just work together as a whole across the nation, I think we'll be able to pull out of this thing way ahead of where we started for sure. Right now it's things are a little dim, uh, grim looking, but people want to partake in culture. They want to partake in arts. Like that is what people are gravitating towards during these hard times is all these streams and videos. We just have to be comfortable with failing at it to then see what we need to do and do it well to Cap things off for the evening. Um, what have you been listening to on your quarantine playlist? Oh, well, I listened to a bunch of K-pop. Gotta love uh, some BTS, some uh, Blackpink. <laughs> yeah, you know, some of that stuff. But then I always I always go back to my uh, emo days, my pop punk days, like going back to uh, my Chemical Romance, uh, Taking Back Sunday, uh, that kind of stuff. And of course, God, I love my metal. So like Dio, Killswitch Engage, uh, every once in a while, some Cradle of Filth. Like I listen to everything. And Linkin Park, I love it. It was one of the first concerts I ever saw live. Uh, nice. They're they're so good. I've also been listening to my Coheed and Cambria. They're really good. It brings back what, 2004, 2005? Oh man, it just brings back good vibes. Yeah. Brings back good vibes. Scott, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me. I, I, uh, it's been so good to, to catch up and I know that we'll both be in touch. Uh, a lot of the points that you made were, um, it resonated a lot because it, it's, it's things that, um, we, I mean, as humans, but especially as musicians and artists sometimes take for granted. Um, and it's important to uh, focus on the smaller things that make bigger impacts moving forward. No, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure just to talk with you. And you're doing a great thing with this podcast, man. Like, it's awesome. Thank you to Duncan Watts Grant for editing and producing the show with me. If you are a new listener, remember to subscribe, like, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts as we would love to hear from you. As always, make sure to support your local arts and cultural institutions. Thank you for listening.